0: If you have your Bibles, let's turn back to Genesis. We'll start in chapter 37 and hold a finger there because we will finish the book of Genesis, all right? You're like, no way. Thank you for standing as we open God's Word together. We may not read every verse between 37 and 1 and the end of chapter 50, but we'll look at some key verses. Also, while you're holding your place there in Genesis 37, just go ahead and flip over to Psalm 105. Because Psalm 105 is going to summarize, it's going to paraphrase the story a little bit before us in a word of praise of how God has worked in the past. The psalmist would want to reflect on that to be encouraged for the present. And I think we should as well this morning. So Genesis 37 to get us started, then Psalm 105, 17 through 22. And then we'll dig in this morning. It says in verse 1 of chapter 37 that Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed. So we looked at Jacob and Isaac already, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. And at Seventeen years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report. It's called being a tattletale, kids. He brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons. He was playing favorites because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. That's called jealousy. and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us, his brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? They, so, so they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said, what they might have perceived to be his arrogance. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun, moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and his brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had, he said? Are your mother and brothers and I going to bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. It seemed that. Even his parents were interpreters of dreams much like him. And so we'll talk about this new dream, but kind of a reshaping of the dream for the the people of God. In Psalm 105, in verse 17, the psalmist recalling how God had worked through the season of the patriarchs in Israel, he says, he comes to the conclusion of that, and he comes to Joseph, he says, he had sent, speaking of God, sent a man, speaking of Joseph, As the man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they hurt his feet with shackles, and his neck was put in an iron collar. Until the time of his prediction came true, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent for him and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all his possessions, binding his officials at will and instructing his elders. Father, we thank you for the testimony of Joseph that you took him from the pit to the pinnacle to bestow favor on your people, to reveal your glory. Lord, help us to have a new dream shaped by our walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, I heard the story years ago of how when Disneyland or Disney World, excuse me, Disney World in Florida opened up that it was four or five years after, almost five years after Walt Disney had passed away. He died in October of, uh, or in December I think of 66, and then in October of 71, the park opens, and then some 19 years later, Universal Studios would open, and And somebody in touring the park said, could you imagine if Walt Disney had lived to see all of this? To which one of the managers there said, well, he did see all of this. That's why it's here. It was the fruit of his dream. He saw it before anybody else saw it. It's been said before, if you don't see it, before you see it, you will never see it. And so you've got to have a dream. You've got to have a vision. And we love to know that that vision or that dream comes from God, that it's something that he wants to do in and through us. Sometimes we have the right dream early on, but it has to be polished. It has to be baked a little while before it can be lived for the glory of God. What's interesting in this passage we just read in the Psalms is there's kind of an interpretive argument with that. Phrase that he was, uh, his neck was in chains, that he was somehow bound, at, you know, in shackles and, and, and also even at the neck. Because some Hebrew manuscripts read that it was his soul that was in iron, or that literally iron entered into his soul, but that didn't make a lot of sense for a lot of interpreters. David Jeremiah, speaking on this passage even this week, says he believed that it was speaking of the fortification of Joseph's soul that when he was locked away, when he was put in prison for something he didn't even do, God used that season of life to fortify his faith, to make him strong in his passion for God. You see, he didn't have the wrong dream necessarily from the beginning, but he had the wrong focus. How has it made you? He went from being self-centered in his dream, and somewhat arrogant, at least the way his brothers perceived it, to being God-centered. At age 17, it seems that Joseph is neglecting to talk about the glory of God, the providence of God, and the grace of God. Three things that come out in his life big time after a season of great difficulty. You know, in Psalm 126 and verse 1, as the captives return from bondage, they're able to sing, we were like those who dreamed. And I think that becomes a picture, as Psalm 126 uh, kind of pictures in the Old Testament what a revival might would be for the church. I think it pictures for us the liberty that we have in Christ. When we come to faith in Christ and he sets us free from the law of sin and death and we learn to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, there's a new liberty that comes from that that is like living the dream. Now, listen, I know like with Joseph or we could get into any other hero of Scripture that life can be full of difficulty and trials And heartache and heartbreak comes at us constantly. But the liberty that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have in Christ, no matter what this world throws at us, is like living the dream. Unfortunately, God almost always, it seems, or apparently so, would let the dream die, and he resurrects it just in time for his glory and our own good. Joseph, as we said last week, was not technically one of the patriarchs, as we think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob But he is that character from chapter 37 on that seems to carry the torch of the patriarchs for us. You know, there were 12 tribes. Reuben kind of loses, because of his sin, the firstborn blessing there. Judah would get the leadership blessing, but it would be Joseph who gets kind of that land blessing, that double portion It would be bestowed or granted on his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh whose names would be on those two tribes. And so Joseph would see everything that he dreamed, after his attitude is adjusted in a big way, he would see everything in his dream come to fruition. But how did the betrayal by his brothers, that would immediately follow what we read in chapter 37, how would betrayal, how would imprisonment, how would all of these things affect his understanding and one thing you can see as you look at him in the midst of these trials, as you look at Joseph's life, is now he gets something he didn't get when he was 17 years of age. He, he understood the importance of the glory of God, he understood the importance of the providence of God, God's hand on his life, and he would understand the importance of the grace of God, not only shown him, but flowing through him as he would reveal it to others. And how did the, he, we'll look at three quick passages here to show how he displayed each one of those. But first of all, this morning, I want you to see with, with the right dream, with the right understanding of the vision God has given you, you can escape the traps of temptation for the glory of God. When your heart and your mind is focused on the glory of God, you can escape the traps of temptation that would hold you back and rob you of your dreams. We see that in chapter 39. Every young man should study Chapter 39. Probably every older man in here should study chapter 39 because we see him escape the traps of temptation, and he does so motivated by the glory of God. It says Joseph had been taken to Egypt. Remember, his brothers were so jealous, they were so angry at his arrogance and his dream that they put him in a pit, they sold him into slavery. He's taken to Egypt. What could be worse, right? They convince his father that he's dead. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. And then in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight. And he became personal attendant. Now, we'll come back to God's hand being on him and this personal favor as we look at the providence of God in a moment. But I want you to see him escape the traps of temptation for the glory of God. Potiphar puts him in charge of his household, verse 4. He placed all that he owned under his authority. And from that time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned. In his house and in his fields, he left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. He had that curse of good looks. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in in this house is greater than I. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin? And notice he doesn't say here against my master. First he says against God. He now is concerned with the glory and the testimony of almighty God. And he says I cannot do this sin against God. As I was going over the spiritual disciplines with our men on Wednesday night a week ago, we were talking about how a divine awareness of God's presence can help you escape temptation. Joseph now had a divine uh, awareness of the presence of God in his life. Although she spoke, verse 10 says, to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. And so this temptation continued and continued day after day. Now, one day he went into the house to do his work, doing what he was supposed to be doing, where he was supposed to be doing it, right? And none of the household servants was there. She grabbed him by the garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. He left, he fled. And he ran from that situation. There was a divine awareness of the presence of God, a desire to want to glorify God in all that he did. And he said, If I give into this sin, and being a young, handsome man in the prime of his life, it would have been a great temptation. But he said, If I give into this sin at this moment, that would bring dishonor to my family. It would most of all bring dishonor to Almighty God. And I cannot. Engage in this sin. Oh, but Joseph, nobody else would know; God would know, and that's all that Joseph needed to know. We need to understand something as we live our lives, as we pray for our young people that we have an adversary. First, First Peter five eight says, "Your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour." And he will use sensual temptation in this world to bring us down again and again and again and to keep us defeated. And so Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, be alert, be aware. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 12 and 13 says that we're to be humble when we think we stand or lest we fall. It goes on to say, no temptation has taken you except that which is common to man. So we need to beware because it is very common. But God is faithful, and with the temptation he will provide a way of escape. When you have that divine awareness, it will cause you to look for the way of escape from the temptation that so easily entangles you. And so you can do what the author of Hebrews says, lay aside the weight and whatever sin easily entangles you, and run with endurance the race set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I love what Paul told Timothy The young preacher boy, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. Listen, there are times in the Christian life where we need to stand our ground, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. When it comes to the area of temptation that appeals to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life, the Bible doesn't say Now it's time to to practice your your stand-your-ground law. The Bible teaches us to run from that kind of temptation. Flee youthful lust. Run from temptation. Saturate that place with your absence and go as far from it as you possibly can. I want to see it like the uh, insects that see the Australian sundew plant. Have you ever seen those before? The, the Australian sundew plant is a beautiful, colorful plant with its blooms, and, and the leaves are shiny and somewhat sticky, but they open up. And, and for an insect, it just looks so tasteful until the insect lands and, and the leaf closes and has it for lunch. And sometimes that's the way we look at the things that tempt us in this life. That looks so tasty. That looks so wonderful. That looks so appealing to my flesh But it's a trap that the enemy is using to hold us back from what God has for us. And see, it's not just that the devil can kind of stick his finger in your face and say, I got you. (laughs) That's not what it's all about. It's, It's that while we are falling victim to that temptation, we become powerless for the kingdom of God. And what the devil is trying to do is render us powerless from doing anything for God. And so when we have a dream, And that dream is to glorify God, not ourselves. We have a vision for the impact and the influence we want to make for the glory of God in this world. Temptation will come into your life to try to rob you of that dream, to cause you to miss out on what God has for you by getting you to settle for less, by getting you to settle for the devil's cheap counterfeits. A dream of a godly marriage, dream of the career God's calling you to, dream of Gospel impact of the nations. First Corinthians chapter 6 tells us to flee sexual immorality. It says that, listen, all the other sins are outside the body, but you're sinning against your own body when you get involved in sexual immorality. And then he goes on to say, Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Listen, young people, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, you can't just kind of open up your heart and your life and set the Holy Spirit and Jesus aside for a moment and say, I'm going to go live my life in the flesh. No, you are quenching and grieving the very Spirit of God because your body's now the Holy Spirit's uh, temple. He's living inside of you. It goes on to say, you're not your own anymore. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. If you're in middle school, you're understanding that attack. Already in life. High school students say, "Man, it only gets worse. College students, it doesn't let up, does it? Well, just wait till I'm young and I'm married. The temptation never stops. The devil keeps coming at you. Midlife crisis. look how many have fallen during that season of life. Single again. Widows, widowers, the temptation keeps coming, does it not? All of us are vulnerable when we are not divinely aware of the presence of God and seeking to live our lives daily for the glory of God. We can't look at anything that comes our way and say, if I get involved in this, it will not glorify God. I will not be glorifying God with my life. And when you get to a place in your life where you want everything that you do to bring Him glory, then you will have this awareness, this divine awareness of His presence to where you would say, how can I get involved in this? And I pray that you would have that awareness that comes with that new dream, that new dream to glorify Him in all things. Not only was it the glory of God that Joseph began to understand, he also began to understand the providence of God. We saw it again and again in the early parts of verse 39 here that God was with him. God's hand was on him. God caused everything he touched to prosper, right? And so Potiphar saw that. The hand of God is on Joseph in a special way. And Potiphar was even a beneficiary of the fact that God's hand was on Joseph's life. Well, what happens when he refuses to get involved in temptation? God just kind of exalts him into a high position, right? Well, not not the way we might think, He was accused of sexual assault by Potiphar's wife. He was put into prison, and he was forgotten about. Here he is. He's been sold into slavery by his brothers. God gets him out of that situation. Now he's accused of something he didn't do, and he has to go to jail because of it. Look at verse 21 of chapter 39. But the Lord was with Joseph. God never left him. God never took it. Don't question the hand of God in your life just because you're going through difficult times. God is still at work causing all things to work together for your good and his glory for those who love him. The Lord was with Joseph. He extended kindness to him. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. Now he's chief custodian in the prison. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. You see that phrase again, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with him, the Lord extended kindness to him. This is what we call the providence of God, God's hand at work and in our lives in ways that we cannot see and in ways that we cannot understand continuing to work all things together for his glory. That's the providence of God. Remember what we saw in Psalm 105, that while he's locked away, God is fortifying his own soul. God's proving him. I've discovered this. If, If people fail to see God at work in your life through the good times, Often, God will allow people to see his hand at work in your life through difficult times. That will be a proving ground of your faith. James 1, 2, you know the verse, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, because the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you might be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. Nothing. Listen, uh, that's what physical fitness is all about, right? We have to have resistance in our lives if we're going to develop physical fitness. There's got to be uh, resistance and endurance over time. If there's going to be spiritual fitness in our life, that means we have to have resistance in our life. We have to have seasons that grow us, that might be uncomfortable for us, that might cause us to have a spiritual workout that is painful and difficult to go through. But God uses it to sharpen and develop and grow us and grow our character in him. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, Jesus is telling Peter, Simon, Satan has asked that he may sift you like wheat. And I'm sure when Peter heard those words of Jesus, he was probably thinking, Oh, but I'm glad you're on my side. You're not going to let him do it, right? Peter, Satan has asked that he might sift you like wheat, and what did Jesus say? And I'm going to let him do it. I'm going to let him do it. But listen, after you've been restored, I want you to strengthen your brethren. In other words, I'm going to let you fail miserably to make you stronger, Peter. And not only is it going to make you stronger, but you're going to become a leader. You're going to strengthen others as a result of so the strengthening that I do in your life. Now listen. God will allow you to go through seasons of darkness to cause you to shine brighter for his glory. Just don't forget in the darkness what God taught you in the light. Don't forget the promises that he made. Don't forget his hand of providence is still at work in your life. Providence would go on to place the kings, butler and baker. Remember those stories He would place the butler and the baker in prison with Joseph. They would have nightmares. Joseph would interpret their dreams. One had a pretty good interpretation, right? The butler would be restored, but the baker, he's kind of like, it's not going to be good for you. It's not going to turn out so well, so he would be hanged. But then later, when the butler was allowed to be restored to his position, just like Joseph had said. He didn't remember Joseph. Joseph had said, look, you know, here's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to be giving your position back. Things are going to be great. You're going to be in favor with the king again. You're going to be his cupbearer again. It's going to be wonderful, but remember me when this happens. Remember I did this for you, and, you know, speak a good word. Get me out of this place. But he didn't remember. The butler would forget. So God would invade Pharaoh's dreams. That's the hand of providence. Joseph would interpret those dreams and say, well, you know, Pharaoh, what this means is there's going to be seven years of abundance, and then after that seven years of abundance, there's going to be seven years of famine, and so you better store up everything you can during the seven years of abundance, and then you will be a blessing to the nations during the seven years of famine. And so, Pharaoh was so impressed by all of that, again, the hand of providence, Joseph would have not only expressed confidence in the promise of God, he would now have a hand in it because God would get him out of that situation and he would soon become even the prime minister, the second in command of all of Egypt. Endure trials and betrayal with confidence in the providence of God. God's at work here. He's preparing you for something. He's teaching you something. He's going to use you for his glory and he's going to prove his providence. And finally this morning, I want you to see, he will then extend blessings and forgiveness as a channel of the grace of God. That's where Joseph came to an understanding that I not only need to live for God's glory, I not only need to believe in his providence, but I need to be a channel of his grace in this world. Joseph advised Pharaoh well, set him up for success. Look at chapter 41, verses 37 through 41. Joseph's proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to servants, can we find anyone like this, a man who has the Spirit of God in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and wise as you. You've got God on your side. You will be over my house, and and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Speaking of his commissioner of agriculture position as well, right? Joseph was a blessing to a foreign and a pagan land because of his walk with God. Because now he's living for the glory of God, he understands the providence of God, and he's a channel of blessing, he's a channel of grace, as a result of his walk with God. He not only receives it, but he extends it. Joseph being a blessing in a foreign and a pagan land. Listen, this world should be a better place because you and I are in it. We should be a blessing to our communities, we should be a blessing to our schools, our state, and our nation, we should cause them to get in on some of the blessings of God because of our walk with God. Remember why God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah? It wasn't just because of their depravity. It was because Abraham couldn't find 50 righteous or then 40 righteous or 30 or 20 or 10 for that matter. He said, listen, for the sake of the righteous, I would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. How do you know except that God, for the sake of the righteous, is not sparing this nation today and sparing this state and your community. You walk with God and you'll be a blessing even to a pagan in a foreign land as we are pilgrims on a journey for Him. We can curse the darkness around us, or like Joseph, we can let our light shine even brighter. You know the story famine would affect the homeland, right? Canaan would be affected by the famine, not only would he bless his brothers when his father sent them looking for food, he would forgive them and he would show grace. Look at Psalm 45, I'm sorry, excuse me, Genesis 45 and verse 5, when his brothers show up he's revealing his identity to them, verse 4, I'm Joseph, your brother, verse 5, He says, and now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. He's saying, don't be worried about it. Don't fear. Let me just relieve that tension. Let me just relieve that awkwardness. Let me just relieve that fear right now. It's okay. He's extending grace. He's showing a blessing to his brothers here. And then in chapter 50, Verses 19 and 20. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now see, they were concerned here because Jacob had already died. Well, how's he going to act now that dad's not here to make him do the right thing? How's he going to respond in this situation? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good, to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's a verse that will save a marriage, save a family, a church, a relationship with a brother or sister in Christ. He's extending a blessing now. This is something that that 17-year-old Joseph would have had a hard time doing in his arrogance. Look at my dream. Look at what I'm going to accomplish. And now he's saying, listen, I want to live my life for the glory of God. I want to live my life with an understanding of the providence of God in my life so that he does get all the glory and I want to live my life that I might be a channel of blessing, receiving and extending the blessings and the grace of God in this world. Bible commentator H.A. Ironside tells the story of a missionary who was having communion with new believers in New Guinea, former headhunters and cannibals. And as he's having communion, or as the table is set for communion, a man walks in to be a part of it. And the teenage boy sitting beside this missionary gets all nervous. And he begins to shake a little bit. The Missionary is worried about him. And then all of a sudden, a calm disposition comes over him. He's relaxed. It's okay now. They went on and they took the Lord's Supper together, and the missionary would later ask this boy, said, what was it? What, why did you get so fearful when the man walked in? And how did that change? He said, well, when he walked in, I noticed him, I recognized him. I knew that he was one who had killed and eaten my father. He said, but while I was sitting here, I realized I'd heard the story. He had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he was now covered with the same blood as I was looking at the cup before me. He was now covered with the same blood of Jesus that I was covered with. He was a new creation in Christ. And I thought to myself, well, if God has forgiven and changed him, I can forgive. I don't understand that. I can't get my mind around that but I do know that of all that Joseph suffered in his life he could say to his brothers I'm going to let it go God had a providential plan in all of this that was bigger than anything that I could see and as a result not only am I stronger but God's kingdom is advancing Would you bow your heads with me this morning?